Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about institutional design. Today on the show, I am joined by Hoosh Burmer. From 2013 to 2021, Hoosh was the general and artistic director of the New Institute in Rotterdam, where he recently stepped down and was succeeded by my previous episode's guest, Eric Chen. This episode, in many ways, then continues the themes and conversations from that last episode with Eric. With Hoosh, we continue to talk about the New Institute, but this time, Hoosh and I talk about its founding and we look at kind of how he thought about developing a cultural institution around architecture, design, and digital culture over the last eight years. They recently published a really fascinating book, Expansive Bodies, Contesting Design at the New Institute, which looks at the first eight years of the institution and the role that design played there. This conversation picks up many things that I've been interested in over the years. We talk about administration and institutional development as a design or creative practice, whose previously worked as a writer and then with fashion designer Alexander Van Slaba. So we talk about moving from theory to practice and how questions of display, surface, and representation connect his work across journalism and criticism, museum direction, and design. If you are not familiar with the new institute, I hope this episode and my conversation with Eric Chen get you interested in it because I think the way they have and continue to think about design is a model that we all can learn from. If you like the show, I hope you consider supporting it on Patreon. We offer three monthly tiers, $3 for students, $5 for patrons, and $10 for superfans that give you access to all sorts of bonus content like monthly newsletters, early episode transcripts, and exclusive interviews, all while helping to financially support this show. So if you like scratching the surface and if you want to see it continue, I hope you consider joining us on Patreon. You can visit patreon.com slash surface podcast for all the details and to help support the show. Thanks for listening, and here is me with Hoos Burmer. There's a lot that I want to talk to you about. I, I feel like we could, I think we have similar interests and kind of think about things in a similar way. And so I, I could see this conversation going all sorts of ways, but I think to frame the conversation or to begin the conversation, I want to talk about the new institute and how you thought about it during your tenure. I I just talked to Eric and talked about kind of what he was interested in there and what he kind of wants to do. But you know, you are the you were the founding director and kind of involved from the beginning. And so I, I want to hear from you about how you thought about organizing the new institute. Can you talk a little bit just briefly about how the Institute came about the merger between these different ones and how you kind of got involved there just to set everything up. Well, as you probably know, it was a forced merger between Mm -hmm. three institutes, you know, one for digital culture, one for design, and you could say the biggest and maybe most prestigious one, the one on architecture. And the one on architecture had this prestigious position because at that time there was no design policy in the Netherlands. There was certainly not a policy on digital culture, but there was always from the 60s onwards a kind of spatial policy. And that, of course, was interlinked with the discipline of architecture. So that one was, you could say, very much celebrated, embedded and rooted in also a kind of yeah state system Mm-hmm. Um, in which design and then the specific field of architecture was considered of importance to certain, well, let's call it spatial developments or city plan developments or even the quality of an individual building. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this this it was I think shocking for the Netherlands that this happened this forced merge because from the Second World War onwards the Dutch cultural infrastructure always got support from the national government and it grew and it grew and it grew and the main reason I think especially in the 50s and 60s of, of course is that you know this idea of rebuilding a nation state was very much linked to the idea and the importance of design uh, and, and, and the importance of culture as an identifier, as a form of knowledge which could be distributed. Um, and then in 2013, they decided to suddenly introduce no longer, you could say, more money to the cultural field, but less money and quite a lot. <laughs> um, so everybody was in total shock. And in, you could say, if you look at it sharply, it was a problem of, of legitimacy. You know, mm. there was a political realm uh, which considered the market a much more interesting, dominant and productive reality, you could say, than the domain of culture in the full width of the notion culture. And that was, I think, for everybody really shocking, at least for the people in my environment. Yeah. Uh, what's going on? Why is suddenly culture no longer, doesn't have the kind of legitimacy it had before? And interestingly enough, um, this is, of course, connected to the idea of a withdrawing uh, central government mm -hmm. and an idea of less bureaucracy, and right. maybe you can even suggest the notion of a kind of bottom-up development instead of mm -hmm. top-down. Um, so um, you could that you could say that you know there are some positive elements in that particular way of reasoning, but overall you could say that a more populist tone was introduced in which mm. economy was celebrated before culture, and mm. and so the question was not so much to come up with a a merge, I think the question to me was much more, can you come up with a type of legitimacy uh, for culture which is productive, in right. such a way productive that it can be also publicly funded? Because that's, of course, the last step in, in the question of legitimacy. What I've always kind of been interested in with the new institute is how hard it is for me as somebody who has never been there personally, but admired it from afar for years is how hard it is to define still. And, I, I, you know, it is a museum. It is a research center. It is an agency. It came out of these three institutions that, you know, sort of kind of merged together. And so, so you know, there's that to it also. And I, I talked to Eric about this a lot because he, he seemed like a such a perfect fit because his work is also really hard to define and kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of kind of wide ranging just like the institute and i'm curious how you thought about that almost as a sort of driving initiative in the new book that kind of looks at the history of expansive bodies you write on the very first page that you've been accused of a, a presumed lack of goal-oriented approach and i'm i'm curious how you thought about having an institution that comes out of these three institutions that has to sort of be all these different things or could be all these different things. Um, how did those all come together to form a whole? Or how do you see these different pieces 
fitting together. Do you know what I mean? Does that make yes, sense? No, I absolutely know what you mean. And to be honest, it, it is it is a, a very complex note. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think it's partly, you know, I think the joy of this particular question is partly embedded in the assignment, mm -hmm. uh, which is, I thought it was an assignment which was made to fail. Uh, and so I thought, you know, you, you, you put three institutes together, you force them to merge. They represent a completely different theatrical, theoretical background, but also a completely different practice. They come from two different cities. I mean, what do you want? You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I thought it was made to fail. And I thought because it was made to fail, we could go, we could take, you could say, full blown risk. Eh? And therefore, the idea of what an institute could be was a much more interesting question than what an institute is. And also, you know, don't forget, you know, you could say from an ideological point of view, the idea of potential was definitely related to me as a child of the 70s. Mm. No, mm -hmm. but at the same time, there was a very there is a very specific Dutch element in it. And I found out when I was, you know, trying to analyze a little bit what we did. And one of the things which always made me, you could say, almost a little bit sad or melancholic was something which happened, especially in the 80s and 90s in the Netherlands, is that there, you could say there were two notions became available, all under the umbrella of emancipation, which mm. I think is a very typical uh, Northern European idea of design that it needs to be emancipated. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, and this is, of course, has to do with uh, a very particular idea about how you organize a society and so on and so forth. Right. Um, so, and and being product design, especially, was considered to be a young discipline and needed to be emancipated. This was, you could say, lesser true for. Uh, architecture which has a, a, a much longer history but mm -hmm. in the 1780s you know certain funds and subsidies became available for individual designers uh, through which they could you could say elaborate on an idea of uh, identity on an idea of authorship on an idea mm -hmm. of style on an idea mm -hmm. of quality and this led to the idea of design as communication Right. So for 80s and the 90s, you know, there was Dutch design. <laughs> design was Dutch and Dutch was right. only design and architecture right. was Dutch. And oh, didn't stop <laughs> this yeah. illness, this, this shared illness in which everything was part of uh, this particular identifier <laughs> called Dutchness. Yeah. And we thought, because this was really also the outcome of a conversation within uh, uh, you could say those three organizations uh, that we said, look, you know, for, for decennia, we've been confronted with design as communication. Could it be something else? Mm. And th this question of something else led to the fact, let's keep it open for a while. <laughs> and, and this is, I think <laughs> we did for the last eight years. Uh, and what happened is that the Institute is constantly transforming and new questions are also asked by you could say the, the national government to the institute because you know when they when we were introduced um, uh, about well eight years ago you, you could you could say that we got the the, the marginal option you know mm -hmm. I, that's why i really believe that uh you know it was made to fail because most money was available for the archive 
And right. the rest, which you consider maybe now more than your institute, was was a lesser part of the, of, of the whole the total budget. It's only through the years that, and God, I'm I'm so thankful that for some odd reason, especially the ministry thought, hey, this is interesting what they're doing. Let's give them a little bit more money and see <laughs> how they deal with that. <laughs> so yeah. that's how we became an expensive body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what, what's I mean, what's also interesting thinking about the idea of expansive bodies or even thinking about the idea of emancipation is that the sort of the so the sort of forced merger also was an emancipation of different disciplines, you know, and so you have architecture, you have design, you have digital culture, and it would be very easy to silo those off to make each of those their own departments to kind of have those separate. And and you never seem to do that. Those all sort of blend together, I think. And there's this sort of emancipation of disciplinary boundaries also happening that we're also just seeing generally culturally. Can you talk a little bit about how you see these sort of different design disciplines starting to come together or blur together or become, you know, some new thing? Well, let's go back to that first question, the question of legitimacy yeah, for mm. culture in general <laughs> and for this particular mm-hmm. institute specifically. And of course, there was an ideology given to us, eh, which was at that time the creative industries, which was funny enough in the Netherlands seen as a creative industry, which mm. is, of course, already totally different. So this was the, you could say, ideology which was given to us, but at the same time, uh, and you know, in that sense, I can only confirm what you're saying. You know, there was an idea of that the field of design needed to be seen in another terminology than, yeah, say the the, the professionalism expected. You know, you yeah. saw forms of hybridization which were fundamentally interesting. So we thought, okay, we can do two things. We can be we can cut up the budget in three and and give you know one part to architecture, one part to design, and so. On. We can also see if we, if maybe the, the core question of the Institute is, could it develop a kind of cultural discourse for a more multidisciplinary language or transdisciplinary language mm. or interdisciplinary language? Because there, there's quite some discussion about what the, what the perspective <laughs> should be. Uh, so we, we opted for that particular one. And for that, we introduced so-called research lines in order to be able to, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to ask you like the really basic question yeah. <laughs> right, right now. Basic. Your your title there was the general and artistic director. And I'm curious if you can kind of talk about what that meant. And, and I'll tell you why I'm asking you that question, because yeah, it, it's interesting. <laughs> it's It's interesting to hear how you talk about kind of putting the institution together because I think there's a really interesting parallel here between administration and design and that the administrator's role here, your role was also a design role. And I'm kind of, I'm curious to hear about how you thought about running an institution administratively also as a sort of creative practice or as a design practice, or even as something that's curatorial in some way. Well, just to let you know, people like me do not get jobs like this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they do. Yeah, but I can tell you it's rare. It's really <laughs> rare. Uh, and it had to do, I think, in my case, with a, a, a very, you could say, intelligent or strategic headhunter mm. who told me, Gustav, 
after two minutes talking to you, I know already that you can never get this job. You know, <laughs> you, you you project a kind of instability, not stability, and that's what boards want. They want stability. So mm -hmm. forget it. You're out. So I said, oh, well, thank you. You're not giving me the job. And I'm also insulted at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you very much for this. But then he said, but I'm going to keep you in my portfolio. And I thought, what is this going to keep me in my portfolio? And he said then, look, you know, there's something very psychologically very interesting with people who select people. At the moment they know, or they think they have the right partner, they become adventurous. Mm. And that's the moment that I will launch you on the table. Uh, so I that's see. what they said. So please, I, I was never an administrator, you know. Mm. I always saw this particular question and this particular possibility as something which you and I, as let's call it cultural entrepreneurs, have to do. You know, we have to develop potentials under certain ideologies you know we have to be strategic we have to i think you know the world of art and design is is about lying and cheating in a way you know <laughs> so i saw that as a fundamental part of me to say oh well that's really interesting the creative industry uh, which I, well, i thought oh god are we going back to richard florida yes you know? <laughs> and then i thought oh god the poor things they really don't know now they have to cut back That's the ideology of now. And now they need to find a new legitimacy. And interestingly enough, the ministry really, you know, because don't forget, all the things I could do, I could do only thanks to a ministry, yeah? because that's, of course, the biggest financer in the Netherlands. It mm -hmm. was never a market. So they, I th they gave us the possibility also because I think they were deep down behind all the political rhetorics. They were very much aware of the fact that they were confronted with a cutback and now they had to come up with a with a potential more than with a possible answer. Well, how so okay, I think what you're saying about you the headhunter saying that you are like the instability when the board wants stability and I'm yeah. I'm I'm interested in that conflict because even the way that we're talking about the new institute and you saying you thought that it would fail and the blending of these, there is a certain instability to it all. And you had to think about how do you basically keep those balls in the air? How do you keep juggling these different things while also creating some sort of stability? Uh, and, and that strategic thinking that you're talking about. And I, I want to know how you think about reconciling those two things, keeping things new and innovative and interesting and unstable while also being strategic to make sure that they can last and now last beyond your time there also. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, if, if I'm really self-critical, which I can't help to be, you know, I must say that maybe the last year I was more pragmatic in my approach of the Institute than, you know, mm. you could say normally. Uh, that also had to do with the fact that, you know, there was a, a, a top-down decision eight years ago, which led to the new institute. But you could say for uh, the last two years, we see a completely different type of, of, of radicalization almost of the design field, which is mm -hmm. fundamentally political and therefore super interesting. But it's no longer, it's much more bottom-up. And, and I thought, oh, this is a perfect moment that maybe... You know, it's not so much about developing a discourse anymore because 
you know, we are much more interested in informal forms of knowledge production, in, in to see the field of design as a maybe a, a, a deprofessionalized field. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so you could say maybe the point is to withdraw a little bit as, as you could say, the, the big guiding light to give me that obnoxious title, but uh, <laughs> to introduce much more principles and much more the idea of instruments rather mm. than themes or guidelines. Um, and I think that was a very deliberate decision of me also, of course, anticipating the fact that I would leave. I, I think it would be interesting to talk a little bit about your background and how you kind of got into all of this, because it's kind of a, from what I've been able to find, it's kind of an interesting uh, kind of interesting road. You started in sort of journalism, writing criticism focused on fashion. Is that right? Well, not so much focused on fashion, but fashion is a very uh, generous discipline. Eh? Mm. If, you, uh, if, you know, it's quite open it, in the sense that you can always get in, you're immediately thrown out as well, but <laughs> you can always get in. <laughs> okay. You know, uh, and, I see. And, so I wrote a few pieces about fashion and then I was, and this is of course, and you know how it goes, it's all borrowed knowledge, mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. I was immediately seen as an authority and this probably had to do with the fact that I had a little different uh, uh, vocabulary than, than, you know, most people in fashion who are maybe more willing to, to come up with a, a you could say a more journalistic vocabulary. Mine was a bit more influenced by philosophy, notions of identity, mm. the body, etc., etc. And mm -hmm. so I was immediately giving a kind of authority. And if you're given an authority, people want you. So you know, I became part of a, a fashion discipline through writing, uh, but it also had to do with the specific psychology of fashion itself, namely that although it's so visual, people long for words they long right. for words and I, yeah. I'm for some odd reason capable of giving that <laughs> what was it about fat what was it about fashion that was interesting to you you know like not uh, uh, you know I think it's interesting that you say you weren't necessarily like focused on fashion but it, it had this sort of generosity to it and you know you had this sort of other you you weren't necessarily focused on fashion, but it, there was this sort of generosity to it that allowed you a way in, and you were writing about it with this different language, thinking about identity, thinking about kind of philosophy and, and, and the politics of it. What was it about fashion that you felt like you could kind of take this language that maybe was not common in fashion at the time, but apply it to fashion? Yes, it, it, it wasn't... Uh, uh, don't forget, I, I studied... At the end of the 70s, the beginning, I'm an old man, eh? so in the beginning of the 80s of the last century. So it's a period that, you know, the Dutch universities went through a transition. They, you could say in the 70s, they were still very much influenced by, you could say, a leftist perspective, uh, Marx, uh, mm -hmm. notions of estrangement. Eh? And of course, uh, fashion was then considered to be the ultimate form of estrangement. Uh, and then it was this new, more structuralist thinking at the beginning of the 80s, coming from a more French background, uh, French structuralism, which you could say celebrated the surface. Uh, mm. And I belong mm -hmm. to the people who are extremely interested in that particular way of thinking, which, which was connected to a completely different notion of identity, uh, notions of play, uh, and certainly not with the heavy marxistic and also freudian because there was this 
great marriage mm, between Freud yeah. and Marx, you know, which, yeah. which said, oh, God, you are really the ultimate loser if you're interested in, in <laughs> notions of surface and design. So I was yeah. really happy with that. And this is, of course, also the type of vocabulary which I introduced in my writing. So suddenly yeah. it was not about, you know, this poor marginal language called fashion, you know, which we had to take into account because it was there. But it was, you know, a, 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 a very strong and productive language, uh, uh, very directly linked to notions of, of identity and, 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 and the idea of that, uh, you know, you could construct or design a body. Um, and I think that was the reason why people liked the way I wrote. But it was, you could say, it was more influenced by this, longing for the surface than the longing for a particular discipline. The way that I was thinking about this or, or kind of where I wanted to take this is that you eventually moved from the sort of criticism journalism side into practice and partnered with a fashion designer and kind of worked on the other side. And I want to know about that move and how how that background that you're just talking about then came in and kind of influenced when you were working on the other side. Well, you know, we can even make the next step, you know, is that I'm f at, at, because of fashion is, of course, a language of representation. You know, I'm, I'm fundamentally interested on a philosophical or philosophics level in the notion of representation. <laughs> That's why I'm fascinated by exhibitions and so on and so on. Mm. But at the same time, I'm very critical about the construct of the author. Uh, and, and an idea of the subject, but also of the artifact itself. So in that sense, I... I was always, for some reason, and maybe that's my Marxistic background, <laughs> interested in a kind of theory, practice, dialectic model, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and at the same within the Institute, to be honest, is that, you know, uh, I, I'm really interested in this period that culture seemed to be less interested in producing forms of representation, but more and more becomes aware, hey, if our role is truly societal, we have to go beyond the exhibition and the celebration of the genius author, blah, blah, blah. Mm, yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, it, it, yes, I, I, to be honest, I was extremely fascinated also by the generosity of Alexander von Slobber, the designer I worked with, yeah. to, to let me think about what a show could be, what a model is, what a notion of a seasonal collection I could see. be. All these type of questions, I was, you could say, the home philosopher. And he made enormous, took enormous risks to take that, you could say, types of perspective, uh, which were, you could say, you could call critical, uh, to yeah. take them into account. And, it, well, in, I must say, uh, although he was, he started very successfully, you could say that my ideas like, oh, no, maybe we should. Everybody is stealing us, so why don't come up with a sketch instead of a finished product? You know, these right. type of ideas were maybe on a philosophic scale interesting, but for him working also within a market, uh, <laughs> rather complex. You're starting to answer kind of where I was taking this or what I was kind of <laughs> the question behind the question, because I'm. It, it's interesting to kind of think about you writing about fashion and design and then working on the other side and then moving into institutions and and being on that side and i, I was what i was 
interested in is what is the connective thread there? And it sounds like, you know, this interest in representation in the surface, in, in these kind of philosophical questions, that's there through all of this. And you're just sort of exploring it through different angles, different mediums, you know, different types of, of formats, uh, you know, or even like institutions even. Yeah, I would never say that explicitly because it sounds a little bit pompous, but <laughs> right, right. I agree. Yeah, that's probably the point. Yeah. So to to come back to this idea of of institutions now, I'm curious, you've worked in these different formats in these different types of institutions the new institute has evolved over the eight years and and talking going back to the beginning talking about this idea of legitimacy even what do you kind of see as the role of these types of cultural institutions today and how has that changed over the the course of your career now especially the reason i'm asking this is because i i, I think design is seen differently than it was eight years ago how do you what do you see as kind of the role of these types of places today um, well, I, I, I was working for a, a much smaller institute in the south of the mm -hmm. Netherlands called Mares for a while. And I remember that uh, the city, uh, who was one of the subsidizers of this particular place, deliberately wanted design to be part of the program. But I think they only saw design as an unproblematic discipline geared towards, you know, a communication and uh, with a very easy mm -hmm. fan base. Yeah? Uh, well, art was complex, uh, so okay, let's throw in design, so at least you know we get a mm -hmm. get a bit of traffic. Um, um, and I think <laughs> that was probably how it was considered from a policy level for quite a long time. It you know there was a, at least in the Netherlands there was hardly any infrastructure, and when and when it was employed, it was synonymous to communication. And in fact, what you look at in the Netherlands is that you see, because from the 60s onwards, you see that the industry withdraws to you know, cheaper labor countries. And, and the notion of the designer is much more and more linked to a prototype, which will never be produced, but is geared towards communication. There are all these, it produces one after the other metaphors for mm -hmm. a possible future. Yeah? And I think when um, the new institute was set up, we could do two things. We could, uh, could well, two, we could do a variety of, th of things. But one of the things I, I really truly proposed to the ministry is that, okay, if you want an economical viable product, eh, why don't we set up an investment bank? And, and, and knowing, you know, that money is not enough. Huh? Uh, knowledge is also necessary. So let's combine money and knowledge and create a house of design around, you know, creating an economically viable product, which can upscale and blah, blah, blah. Let's get away of this prototype culture, which is so, yeah, you could say, yeah. Dutch design. Um, but they didn't want it. They wanted me to, wanted us to animate this, this, this ruin, which was left by, by, by stopping the, 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 those three institutes. Yeah? Uh, so, uh, and then they definitely wanted an institute, mm -hmm. not a museum. And to me, you know, this, this was all very much linked to a much older idea, namely of public space. Right, yeah? right. Uh, a public space where, uh, you know, you could produce knowledge, uh, you know, question of, of interaction, dialogue, and so mm -hmm. on and so on, could be embraced. Um, so 
to me, the fact that they so explicitly refused to set up a kind of investment bank, <laughs> but wanted to hold on to a much more 19th century idea of an institute, you know, also made it, you could say, almost easier for me to think, okay, but if we do that, then we have to think about what is a director, then mm. we have to think about what's an exhibition, then we have to think about what is an archive, mm -hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. And this... The, by the fact that they demanded an institute, you know, mm -hmm. it made it much more easier for us to think about, okay, if we, if you want an institute in the 21st century, which celebrates the, the, the idea of a public space and not a market space in which I have to make the blockbuster. In fact, you know, one of our plans was to make the exhibition called the blockbuster. <laughs> <which would> go, <laughs> oh, you want a blockbuster? Okay, we'll make it. I love it. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> which would go into this particular phenomenon, you know, yeah. and, and it was the Dali exhibition somewhere in the 50s, the first blockbuster or, or whatever, you mm -hmm. know. So the new institute as, as an assignment was very much related to a much older idea of public space, knowing that we would be publicly funded. And that, of course, right. also creates this very specific identity, which a lot of institutes, especially in the States, which are much more privately sponsored, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. cannot embrace or only much more marginal because they have to commit to uh, legitimacy is a, as larger, uh, is a large audience. Legitimacy is the New York Times. Mm -hmm. Legitimacy, yet that, that, you know, well, we could, you know, you could say elaborate on more, as, on more diverse aspects of what an institute entails. I, I want to, use that to also then talk about kind of design and 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 how you thought about design in the in the book expansive bodies brendan cormier who's who's a former guest on this podcast actually um ah, isn't I, he a great man he's great i uh, i loved talking we've to given him this shoe box of of starting points and he made a book out of it i'm it, so impressed and <laughs> and a, a a very great book too i i loved reading it um but he he talks about how the the institute thought about design and and he writes and i'm quoting him here that you've produced a design agenda that both embraces an expanded idea of what constitutes design while also acknowledging the inherent conflict within the practice and so he's talking about kind of moving away from you know exhibitions of single designers and kind of designer genius and really starting to kind of problematize and and think about design in this broad way. And what I thought was really interesting is that that really has been the mandate of the new Institute over eight years. And it seems like to me in the last three, four five years, that's really become a dominant way of talking about design. And so in, in a way, I, I think you were a little bit ahead of, ahead of the curve and kind of talking about design in that way. But I'm interested in how you think about the, the evolution of the design discourse and, and the way it is seen in culture and seen as a way of kind of cultural production and where you might see that headed next? Well, I think I have to be, you know, I have to take into account that, you know, it was never me alone. Right, it was right. always this, this, these three teams, you know. So one of the things we did is that we, we set up a kind of, which we call the convent period. Mm. And I must say that I particularly was very much influenced by people operating within the field of design culture, of the digital culture, mm. which uh, were much more influenced by notions of the commons and, you know, those type <laughs> of ideas. And it became very evident to us that either we considered ourselves 
like a, a Northern American Institute sponsored by uh, private parties, which had to acknowledge a classic idea of hierarchy, of actuality, mm-hmm. of authorship, of stardom, etc., etc. Or we could, you know, expand the idea of design and consider maybe everything as design <laughs> and see if we can introduce, you know, yeah, no, you know, yeah, yeah. let's call everything design. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. Uh, uh, and let's see if we can come up with a, a possible discourse, very much organized, I must say. We, in that sense, we've been rather clever around certain questions which we found interesting. So for instance, design related to material culture, which we, so this series of exhibitions like wood, and in fact, you mm-hmm. know, that there's a fundamental transition coming up and say, no, we're no longer interested in materials because, you know, they're much too functionalistic in our approach. We have to look at matter and that, that leads them to the lithium exhibition. You know, I think these type of very explicit ideas which were maybe part of design but never part of the communication of design Mm. uh, could be reintroduced through the fact that we were very well aware of the fact that we were a publicly funded institute right right. speaking of of that i read an interview with you where you said what fascinates me is the relationship between government policy and the way in which the design disciplines develop which has been a sort of underlying theme of a lot of our conversation that we've been having in kind of this, this... Uh, you know, in a way uh, uh, you know uh, when you would have talked to me 10 years ago i would have known exactly who was designing what and you know i was really interested in 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 why i've found this or that more interesting. Now, I think I'm much more interested in how, you know, different domains interact. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk more about that, though? Uh, Well, to me, it was really an eye-opener that, you know, the the government wanted to withdraw and to expand at the same time. Mm, eh? mm, mm -hmm. So uh, they want to withdraw and therefore create less you could say, legitimacy, for instance, for the field of architecture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, they introduced uh, a new uh, subsidy uh, uh, instruments, which gave the possibility to the designer to operate almost as an artist. Eh? Right, because don't right. forget, in the, in the period from the 60s and 70s of the last century, the, the designer was a relatively anonymous figure. Uh, mm-hmm. part of a team working on a project much more on a product than uh, being a, 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 a having a celebrated status in the Netherlands you see especially from the 90s onwards on the labels as drove design that a new type of designer comes up right. and that's truly the result of the of the possibilities which is given mm. to the field of design and to the field of architecture digital culture was not yet available but interestingly enough if you look both at graphic design, your interest field, and yeah. the digital field, you see that the position of the artist is seems to be influencing those yeah. positions quite fundamentally. Yeah. It has to do with the subsidy system in the Netherlands. Mm, I see. And, of course, the educational system is organized around that. Right, right. So notions of autonomy, critical reflection... Uh, don't forget, design is also, uh, uh, in, in many cases, a department at an art school. Right. <laughs> that's a, I mean, that's a whole other... Co- I could talk to you for, for an hour just about... 
<laughs> so and of course the classic criticism is oh well it doesn't coincide with the market <laughs> right the other way is what the new institute did oh let's see if that if that way of thinking if that approach towards design can be made productive let's right. visualize it that, you know that, yeah. right i love that i think that's that's exactly right I want to know what's next for you. You just ended this eight-year run. Uh, what's What are you thinking about right now? Or kind of what do you want to do now? Well, you think, in a way, we've been relatively successful, although under an enormous amount of pressure and backlash and horrible type forms of criticism in transforming an institute. In that sense, I'm relatively proud mm -hmm. of the team and what we, you know, that certain, you could say, very basic questions led to a, a, a curious, productive, and extremely hardworking organization. Because the, 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 the turnout of the Institute is immense and, and totally interesting. Um, but at the same time, we completely failed in, in, in giving design and architecture, again, that you could say societal mandate, which, you know, especially the ministry wants. But the ministry is double. You know, mm -hmm. on one hand, they want to withdraw. At the same time, <laughs> they want to give you, uh, yeah, well, you know, solve every, solve every problem we created. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know? So I'm very much intrigued into the fact that the Institute is more and more fascinated. In, let's call it that classic dialectic question, theory and practice. Mm -hmm. uh, um, in, in developing instruments. And one of the most is intriguing to me at least is the is the zoop and in which at least i see a kind of the ideology of of digital culture uh, in which as you know the not the netherlands doesn't have a kind of uh uh, it, it's a man-made country. It's it's Ed, there's God and there's the Dutch. Uh, you know, they right. So, at the moment, we are thinking about how can you give all those actors which which uh, presuppose a more than human ecology. How can you give them a voice? Mm. Eh? And in uh, Holland, it's that we can only do, or we think we can only do through the legal system. How can we employ a legal system? which gives then, you know, all kinds of actors within the landscape, within, you could say, let's call it an ecology, uh, a voice. Mm -hmm. And I find these type of, you could say, design issues, which are not so much related to visibility and representation, but much more about recognizing fundamental issues and <laughs> having given up on a society almost, you know, mm -hmm. okay, if you want us to do it, let's see what we can do, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, but beyond the question of representation, I find those uh, products extremely interesting. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so what I decided is uh, I don't want to drag a whole institute with me again. <laughs> I'm really tired of that. Uh, and as you can imagine, also the Institute is filled with people with egos and so on and so on. Uh, so I'm tired of being uh, uh, daddy, you could say, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. uh, because that's a part of the role you have to fulfill. And, and I try to do it as best as possible. But, you know, it also transforms yourself. Right. You know, you right. almost start to believe that you're a daddy, mm -hmm. which is really a horrible paternalistic position. Um, mm -hmm. So... I, um, I, I really wanted to do something small and something with my uh, feet in the clay again, because the other positions which were given to me were the roles of consultant, mm. advisor, 
you know, as if I'm an authority on anything. Well, please believe me, Jared, I'm the <laughs> ultimate celebration of dilettantism. That's me, you know. Uh, um so there was somebody which i which i knew because they were the owners of the of 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 a building in which i once uh uh, directing an institute called mares Mm -hmm. and they said look we're very much interested in permaculture uh, but to us it deals with values which could expand the field of food food production Mm. uh, and and could touch upon a complete upon, upon a different economy but uh, would you be interested in setting up a kind of, let's call it a cultural institute on these type of questions? And I said, I'm not sure what you mean, but it sounds extremely interesting. <laughs> and then I said, but can't we just not use the classic interfaces of culture, which is mm-hmm. the reading, the exhibition, the archive, you know, could we use the, the, the interfaces of the market, which is the shop and the hotel, mm-hmm. and the restaurant? And they said, well, if you want to do that, I mean, why not? I said, yeah, we, we can think about a hotel where you, you know, it's not only about luxury of comfort, but you can think about doing things yourself or having to wash your sheet or what. I have no idea yeah. what it could be. And they said, yes, let's do that. So this is what I'm going to do. Oh, that's so uh, interesting. To, yeah, to celebrate a, another practice, but under, you could say, a very principled perspective. You know, this is what we're going to do. And this is not what we're going to do. I think we're going to say a lot of no. Right, right, right. Um, I feel like I have so many more questions now that I could talk to you about. Um, but I will I will end with the question that I used to end all of these conversations. I'm interested to hear what you're reading right now. What I'm reading right now? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, my background... Um, not only am I a totally queer man, but I also have a partly Indonesian background, mm. which, you know, the, the, the Dutch had colonies once. And the result of, of, of being the colon, colonizer is, is offspring like me. And for a long time, I was interested in a formal aspect of that particular history, namely the oral component of it. Mm. Um, and then I forgot about it. And I think it also had to do with my studies at the beginning of the 80s that, you know, the idea of forgetting, you know, was more important than the idea of memory. Mm. But obviously influenced by what is happening currently around me, I also became again interested. And it's a book for David van Rijbroek, which is called Revolutie, um, mm. in, in the spelling of, 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 of Malayan, um, the Malayan language. Um and uh, it, 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 it reveals the, the revolutionary years of the, the 30s, 40s, and 50s in, in Indonesia. And strangely enough, a history which was never written by the Dutch themselves or Dutch Indonesian people or Indonesian people. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did it. And I, I, I'm totally fascinated by it. Oh, that's so interesting. This was such an interesting conversation for me. It was so nice to hear how you think about all of these things that are all things that I'm interested in too. Uh, so thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for being on the podcast. Well, no, th- thanks for asking me to be part of the, you know, I'm one of those people who are not a lot of asked, you know. Uh, so I, I feel extremely, it's extremely nice and that we can also, you know, coincide it with the book. I'm really happy. Thank you so much, Derek. For the-
This episode was recorded on September 10th, 2021. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can support the show on Patreon and find previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.